What's going on, Coastal Community Church? How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is CJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad you're joining with us this Thanksgiving weekend. Did anybody have a good Thanksgiving this week? Where, where, where are all my people that, that overate? Where are you at? Show your hands, show your hands, show your hands. Right there, right there. A lot of overeating people. How many of you guys actually had discipline? Where are my discipline people? Okay, there's 75 here out of the couple. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm glad that some people had discipline. I, I struggled with discipline on Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving's hard, isn't it? Because they just put so much stuff out. There's so many options, so many opportunities, so many areas to stumble and fall. We'll be talking about gluttony next weekend. It's gonna be great. Uh, make sure you come back. I'm just kidding. Anyways, we're glad that you're here. Before we dive into today, can you guys help me welcome everybody that's watching online and everybody at our Lighthouse Point location. Come on, let's show them some love, Parkland. Man, we love you guys. We're glad that you're joining with us. And uh, I'm excited about today as we are in a series that we do every fall called Legacy, where we're talking about how do we make our life live beyond this present life? Like, how do we make a difference in such a way that, that our legacy continues on after our life has ended? And that's I think that that's a great goal that all of us should have. And this is a season in our church that we take the opportunity to, to think about our future and look at opportunities that we may have. And we have our legacy offering coming up next weekend. It's gonna be a great weekend for us as we push forward the vision of Coastal. But I wanna talk to us today out of John chapter four. If you wanna grab your Bibles, it's gonna be a little bit different today. I, I just wanna dive right into some text because I, I believe I have something that is on my heart. John chapter four, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab that worship guide that you were handed on your way in. All the scripture will be there. You also have the opportunity to take some notes. We think it's important to take notes. It's how you remember things better. And I think God wants to speak to us today. And I was thinking about this weekend in particular, and, and I was thinking about if Jesus had one message that he would give to his church, the Big C Church, I also think one message that he would want to speak to us today as Coastal Community Church, as to us as individuals, I, I actually would say if there was one challenge he wanted to give us, this would be the challenge is what we're gonna talk about here today. And we're gonna be diving into a story out of John chapter four. And let me give you some context of what is going on. And I wanna set it up because it's, it's important for us to understand what is going on. Jesus is, is traveling uh, to Jerusalem. He's trying to make his way through the quickest way possible, which is to go through Samaria. His disciples are with him. He gets to this point where, where they're a little tired. They realize they don't have any food. And so they have this stopping point and the 12 disciples go off into town to go get some groceries. They go to do some grocery shopping. And so Jesus is at this remote place outside of town. He's by himself. Over on yonder is a well. He all of a sudden gets thirsty and decides, you know what, I'm gonna go over to the well. And when he rolls over to this well, what he finds is he finds a woman that is there. Now, Jewish protocol and culture during that time, it would have been very, very normal for a man to completely ignore a woman, to not even acknowledge a woman at that time. And that day, it was, it was normal for men to think themselves so much more superior that they wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even have a conversation, let alone look a woman in the eye. And so he, the, the normal 
thing to ha would happen would be that Jesus would totally ignore her because that's what culture said to do. And Jesus kind of flips the script a little bit and walks right up to this woman and starts to have a conversation with her. And right there, he smashes through all the gender barriers that were there. Not only that, but because he starts having this conversation with her, he also smashes through some, some racial tensions because she would have been a Samaritan woman. And if you know anything about Jews and Samaritans, at that time, there was, this, there was this divide between them. They hated each other. Jews wouldn't even acknowledge Samaritans. So, so for Jesus to start speaking to a woman, and not just a woman, any woman, but a Samaritan woman, was something that was so out of the norm. And he begins to strike up this conversation with this woman. And he does anything any great conversationalist does is he begins with a question and he says to the woman like, are you married? That's a, that's a common question to ask somebody like, are you married? Uh, and, and the woman says, well, no, not, not really. And, and he goes, that's right. And what he begins to do is he begins to read her mail a little bit. And he goes, no, 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 not only are you not married, but you've been married five times and you've been divorced. And the dude that you're with now, you're shacking up with him and you know you shouldn't be. Probably not the proper etiquette of starting a conversation to call somebody out on all their, their failures in life, but Jesus just kind of goes there. And her response in this moment is that like, there's no way that you could know this unless there's, there's some sort of God aspect about you. In fact, scripture says, she asked, surely you are a prophet. She's like, there's no way you could possibly know these intimate, intricate, details about my life. And then he says something that, that blows her mind. He, he actually says to her, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me to give you water that would never make you thirst again. And all of a sudden this gets her attention because she realizes like, I'm not just talking to a man, I'm actually talking to God here. I'm talking to somebody that can make a difference in my life. And we're gonna pick up the story right there because I want you to note some interesting details that are in John's gospel here that maybe you've read and you've never really picked up before, but I think are very, very critical to the conversation we're gonna have today. John chapter four, verse, starting in verse 27, it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. So if you can imagine, here come the disciples, they're coming back from town, they're carrying groceries and they see Jesus talking to this woman and they're a little shocked in that moment. They're like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And then John does something in this story that you're never supposed to do when you're telling a story. Like John begins to interject some things into the story that never really happened. Like when you're writing, you don't put things in the story that didn't really take place in the story. That doesn't really make it a story. That makes it a, a, a fable, but that's exactly what John does. And he says, but no one asked, like, what do you want? Like, nobody walked up to Jesus in that moment and was like, Jesus, are you doing okay? Is there anything that we can get you? Is there anything we can do to serve you? Which would have been common hospitality, especially if you're one of his disciples. And John says, nobody does this. Like, which makes you ask the question, like, then why did he write that down in scripture? Like, why did he write something down that didn't happen unless he wished that it had happened? 
And then he says another line, and he says, and no one asked him, why are you talking with a woman? So remember, they're surprised to find him speaking with a woman. And if your rabbi who is teaching you and is helping you learn says something or does something that you don't understand, the natural thing would have been for you to ask your rabbi, like, Rabbi, why are you saying that? Why are you doing that? In other words, you're supposed to ask that which you don't understand. And John says, but we didn't even do that. And what John is trying to point out here in this story is he's trying to point out like how selfish the disciples were in this moment. Like how they weren't concerned about Jesus in the moment or what he was doing, or they were just thinking about themselves. Then verse 28, it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. So she leaves and she goes down to her town, which isn't like miles away, it's just around the corner. And she goes and she begins to speak and pretty soon she's gonna be coming back. And it says this, and said to the people, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah that came out of the town and made their way toward them? So imagine this woman is now leading this pile of people back towards Jesus and his disciples who are at the well. And we don't know if it's 20 people. We don't know if it was 50 people. We don't know if it was 200 people. And they're coming to see Jesus. And then verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. So this pile of people is coming to have an encounter with Jesus and his disciples are like, are like, Jesus, what's for lunch? And then Jesus does something that he typically does is he takes the thing that they're talking about and he brought it up as a spiritual metaphor. In verse 32, he said, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying, I, I'd rather talk to these people and be about what my father wants me about than get concerned about that thing. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Like, in other words, they're like, did you eat while we were gone, Jesus? Like, did you, did you go to, did you order DoorDash? Did we miss that? Like, they were completely missing it. They were right there with Jesus and they couldn't get it. They didn't care what he wanted. They didn't care that he was talking to a woman and they missed this whole pile of people that were walking towards him. And even then Jesus tells them what he's doing and they still miss it. And the question is, is if the disciples who are with Jesus missed it, could we be missing it? Could we be missing it ourselves? And then Jesus is like, I'm gonna give him round two. He says, my food, Jesus said, is to do the work of him who sent me and finish his work. He's like, man, I love a good lunch just like everybody else, but guys, there is some work to be done. Listen, church, I, I love a good lunch like everybody else, but there is some work that needs to be done for the kingdom of God. And he, he, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying you're caring a little bit too much and are a little too focused on yourselves. And listen, if we aren't careful, you and I, we can miss it in life. The church can miss it. Something can happen and, and all of us are trying to be included, but there is a natural gravitational pull, whether we recognize it or not, towards selfishness in each and every one of our lives. You might deny it. I might deny it. 
But the truth is we all are pulled towards selfishness. Because you leave me alone, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of me. Come on, is anybody with me? Now I have to be reminded from time to time that there are piles of people that are coming towards us. And my belly is wanting lunch because I have my own needs. But I have to train myself to notice others. Then Jesus makes a statement. In verse 35, he says, don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? It's a procrastination saying. It's like saying, someday I'll get to that. Yeah. It's like every parent, when you go to ask your children to clean their room, they'll say, what do they say, tomorrow? It's a procrastination thing. Someday I'll get to that. Then Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I believe that this is a message for us today, church, in our, our legacy series. And it's simply, open your eyes. Simply open your eyes. Like, don't forget to see the world the way that God sees the world. Like, look around and realize that there is a harvest that is ripe and ready. Like, don't procrastinate. We got to open our eyes to see the world the way that God sees it. I just uh, turned 45 this past week. It's a great milestone in my life. Uh, uh, half of my life is now officially over is what I've realized uh, because I've said, I don't, I don't wanna live past 90. Everybody that's past 90, quality of life isn't what I want it to be. So like 90 is my end game. And so I just hit 45 and, and I've, I've been assessing some of my life. And if you notice today, I, I'm wearing some, some glasses here. These are not fake glasses. I actually need these glasses. I take these glasses off. There are people out here, but I have no idea who you are. I put them on. And it's like, oh, you know, like everything, everything comes to life. And, and, and I, I started needing glasses when I was younger, when I was in school. And I'll never forget when I, I found out that I needed glasses. My, my teacher noticed that as I was sitting in class and I couldn't read the board. And so what would happen is I'd be in my seat and I'd be leaning forward and I'd be squinting really hard because I think the smaller you make your eye, the better you can see. I don't know what it is, but that was my theory. And so I, would, I was squinting and I remember they, they called my family and said, hey, you might need to get your son checked out, his eyes checked out, see if he's doing okay. I, I see that he's struggling to see the board. And I remember the first time I ever went to the eye doctor. Does anybody remember going to the eye doctor for the first time? It's one of the most traumatic experiences you'll ever have in your life because they don't ever tell you what they're going to do. They're like, hey, sit down here and you sit down there. And all of a sudden it's like, poof, you know, and like air just puffed in your eye. You're like, what the heck was that? Like, they're like, oh, that was a glaucoma check. I was like, like, warn a brother out. Like, let me know. Somebody help me. And then they, they take you over to the eye thing and they get rid of it in your face. And they're like, A or B, A or B, A or B, A or B, A or B. I'm like, slow down. They both look good, okay? Give me a second to process it. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, and then I'm like, hey, can you back up or get a Tic Tac? Like, just give me some space here, doc. And I remember this doctor, he, 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 after going through all the things and puffing my eyes, and 
he turns in his chair and he goes, I, I've got it figured out. I know exactly what your problem is. And I was like, please give it to me, doc. What, what's, what's my issue? And he said, man, your issue is you're nearsighted. I'm like, no, 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 doc. Like I can see close, fine. Like the, the stuff right here I got, it's the stuff far away that I have a problem with. Come on, have you ever thought about this? The eye profession is the only profession in America, medical profession that gives you your, your issue based on what you can do, not what you can't. It's like, oh, I have a broken arm. And you're like, hey, you have a good leg. No, no, that doesn't help me. Doesn't make any sense. We need to change that. Like, I can't see far away. He goes, no, no, no. Your condition is called nearsightedness. Like, knowing for the rest of my life that I can't naturally see far away. And it dawned on me that nearsightedness is not just a natural condition. It's also a spiritual condition. It's also, it's also a church condition. If, if we're not, if we don't recognize it, we have a tendency to only pay attention to that which is closest to us, to that which is nearest to us, because we think in our mind, if I can't see it, I don't have to be responsible for it. Come on, somebody. So like, I don't have to worry about you because I don't see you. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in traffic and you're trying to, to make a right-hand turn into a pile of traffic that is just backed up and you're sitting there with your blinker on. And I don't know if you've discovered this, but I've discovered this. I've realized that until I make eye contact with the other person, nobody will ever let me in. Because people think like, if I don't acknowledge him, I don't have to let him in. Like if I don't see him, I don't have to deal with that. And so what they do is instead of looking over to the right and seeing me, they look to the left. Or they just look straight ahead or they look at their phone. Come on, you know it's true. But the moment they make eye contact with you, there is a responsibility now. Now we are down with each other. Now there's a responsibility that you are gonna do the proper and right thing and you are gonna let me in. And when you let me in, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna raise my hand and thank you. Come on, South Florida. Where's the art of thank you back to the person that helped you in? Or my favorite, and this is what irks my wife more than anything, we'll see somebody that is homeless or on the streets that's begging, and they'll walk up, and people in their cars will turn and look the other direction. They'll be right there at their window. They'll be like, and that person in that car is like staring at their phone. They're like, if I just don't look at him, they're not real. Because if we think, I don't see them, then I'm not responsible for them. And I'm just telling you, church, that sometimes we can live our lives like that. Where we just look away and we say to ourselves, I'm not responsible because I don't see. And Jesus says, hey, church, hey, church, don't forget to put your glasses on. Don't forget to open your eyes to a lost and broken and dying world that is looking for hope and restoration and transformation that can only come through the gift that you have received. And you are my conduits of which I'm going to do that in their life. And honestly, it's, it's so easy for us to go, well, well, I've got a seat, so who cares if they have a seat? I've got my place, so who cares if 
they have their place in it. The reason we have that mentality is because we, we, we're, 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 we're suffering from nearsightedness and, and Jesus is going, no, 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 you gotta open your eyes. We gotta open our eyes. So the question that I have for us here today is, is if we could see the world the way that Jesus sees it, what would you see? What would you see? And I want to give you a very simplistic scriptural answer. If you could see the world the way that Jesus is seeing it this Sunday, he's not looking at congregations that are meeting all over the world. In fact, in Luke 15, it very clearly tells us that Jesus is not looking for found things, but he's actually on a search and rescue mission for lost things. Jesus is actually distracted, not by which that is found, but that which is lost. And if it ever, if you've ever lost anything, you know that that makes complete sense. Like if you've ever lost your keys or you've ever lost your cell phone, the only thing that you can think about is where's my cell phone? Where's my cell phone? I, I gotta find my cell phone. Has anybody seen my cell phone. You don't ever stop and go, oh, there's my couch. That's awesome. No, no, no. You're like, where is my cell phone? Right? You're not concerned about the thing that you know where it is. You're concerned about the thing that is lost. Like Jesus knows exactly where you are right now. He's not that concerned. He's concerned about the person that still hasn't heard. You need to know that that is the heart of God, like when he's looking at the earth, he isn't taking inventory of the things that are found. He's looking for his lost ones. He's looking for them and he's distracted by it. This past Thanksgiving, my, uh, my mom was in town and my mom actually just moved here. And it's always terrifying to me when my mom is at a, a function that we have with people that we're not really great friends with that we invite over. So we had all these people over at our house and, and uh, I'm always scared because my mom loves to tell embarrassing stories of my childhood that I would not approve of her telling. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, like parents, it's the most, it's the most especially as your, your kids get older, like in their 40s, it's not cool to tell stories about when they were five, okay? That are super embarrassing. And one of my favorite stories, I was really terrified she was gonna tell it this week at Thanksgiving. I was like, please, please don't tell any stories. Like this is not story time. And, Cause I actually wanna tell stories myself. And so, uh, there, there, when I was three or four years old, my mom isn't sure what, what exact age I was, uh, but we lived in Sarasota, Florida, and we lived on a road called Beneva Road, which is a very busy street. It was the main uh, street right there in Sarasota where we lived. And one morning around 6 a.m., I woke up uh, before my parents were awake, and I decided to get dressed. And I went and I got to our sliding glass door, and somehow I unlocked our sliding glass door. I went outside, I grabbed my tricycle, and I went for a bike ride. Um, my parents wake up sometime after I'd already left the house and uh, they go into my room to wake me up and discover that I'm not in my room. At this moment, as a parent, they begin to freak out. Uh, my dad and my mom, they're like, oh my gosh, where is TJ? They go searching frantically through the house. They discover that the sliding glass door leading outside is open and I'm not there. They think to themselves like TJ has gotten out or he's been kidnapped. So they immediately think, well, if he got out, we know the first place he would go, he would probably go to the swimming pool. And so they ran to the community pool where I loved to play as a kid. And, and they ran to the pool and they thought to themselves, man, the, we know exactly he's gonna be at the bottom of the pool because he, he, he might not be perfectly swim trained yet. And so they go there and I'm not at the pool 
school. They're freaking out. All of a sudden they start yelling, TJ, TJ. They're just, they're just, they're going on people's doors, knocking on neighbors' doors, going, have you seen TJ? Is TJ here? It's like six something in the morning, 7 a.m. in the morning. They're freaking out. They're, uh, and what's interesting is, is my mom has two other kids from a previous marriage. At no point did she stop the search and go, you know what? I have two other kids who cares about TJ. Like at no point was she like, you know what? I wonder what they're up to. I wonder if they're good. No, no, those kids did not matter at the time. All that mattered was her son that was lost and she was frantically looking for him. Lo and behold, what had happened is I decided to take this bike ride and I had rode my tricycle all the way down to Fruitville Road. If you know Sarasota, it's one of the busiest roads in all of Sarasota. And I was trying to cross the street when one of our neighbors was on a walk and saw me by myself and realized that I got out of the house because I was only wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> Apparently I was an exhibitionist as a child. I don't know. And this woman walks me back because she knew where, she saw me playing with my family all the time. She knew where I lived and she walked me back. And you know what? When, when my mom and my dad saw me, you know what they did? They ran up and they picked me up and they gave me a spank and they're like, I can't believe you would do that. No, they didn't do that. But a lot of us, that's how we perceive God. Yeah. We think God is mad at us. God's gonna punish me. God is after me to get me. God's not after, me to, after you to get you. God is after you to love you. Yeah. And the moment they saw me, they, they, they wrapped me in their arms and they held on to me and they're like, we're, we're never gonna let you go. Then they got me one of those leashes and they let me, no, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't know if they got that, but that would've been awesome. And listen, this church that you're a part of, I'm just gonna, I'm here to let you know, Coastal, we love that you're here, but we're about the ones that aren't yet here. We're about God's children that are not yet found. Because I believe that that is the heart of the God that we serve. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said like this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus says to his disciples, really? You wanna talk about lunch and the whole town is coming to hear the message? Like there is one mission and one mission only and that is to help lost people be found. He's going, open your eyes. So three things real quick here to open our eyes to as I've got eight minutes and 52 seconds left. Number one, open your eyes to where they are. Open your eyes to where they are, meaning I need you to get this. If you are a follower of Jesus, once we are found, we are on the search and rescue committee for God. That's what we are about. We're, we're to be going through life realizing that every moment of life, God is creating these divine intersections between your life and lost and broken people's lives. And he's going, man, I wanna create an intersection where your story and what God has done in you will be a testimony to them, especially with the things that they're going through. And all of a sudden, they're gonna see me through the grace of God in your life. And God wants us to recognize where they are. So what that means is we gotta be sensitive to people because if you aren't careful, you'll go to lunch today and there'll be a divine intersection and you'll just miss it. Because you're so concerned about filling your belly that there is a heart that needs to be filled right next to you. 
Like maybe, just maybe, that server isn't there to bring you your food. Maybe, just maybe, you're there to bring that server some spiritual nourishment to their life here today. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to utilize you to make an impact on other people. And I get it because it's so easy to be selfish. I am incredibly selfish. Like my wife will tell, I, I have so many selfish tendencies. I'll, I'll never forget, not too long ago, I was uh, coming back from speaking at another church one weekend and I jumped on a flight and uh, I got on my seat. And I don't know about you, but anytime I get on a, a flight, I, my prayer life goes up because as people are walking in, I'm like, please God, not them. Please God, please God, give me somebody different. Like not the drunk guy, not, no, no, not, not, the, not the lady with the baby. Please Jesus, in Jesus name. Like, I, like my prayer life has elevated in those moments. And, uh, and so I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I'm tired. I just wanna get home to my wife and nobody's sitting next to me yet. And so I'm like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna act like I'm asleep so I don't have to talk to anybody. Very pastoral. And so, so I, I kind of get there, I, I put my arms on both armrests because I want to establish who owns what. You know, the real estate in a plane is very valuable. And so I'm, I got that, I'm, I'm acting like I'm asleep over in my, in my corner next to the window. And, and, and this guy comes and sits down next to me and knocks my elbow off. Can you believe the nerve? And I'm like, you know, but I can't, I can't open my eyes because then he'll know that I'm awake and I want to act like I'm asleep. And, I kind of put my elbow back a little bit and he knocks it off again. And I kind of look over at him and he goes, so what do you do? I'm like, seriously? Can you not? I'd sleep, that's what I do. Stop talking to me. And it's a question I hate more than any other question. Like it's the worst thing to ask a pastor. It's the one place in life I want to lie the most. I'm like, I'm a life coach. I'm I, like, I just want to make some, I, I'm in sales. I don't know, like whatever it is. And, and I just was like, oh. and I'm like, man, I, I, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, I, I, I hate religion. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm gonna play this game too. So you've got to start it. I, I go, me too, I hate religion as well. He's like, what? I said, yeah, man, religious people piss me off. Make me mad. He's like, but you're a pastor. I said, yeah, I, that's right. I don't like religion. He's like, how can that be? And I, I started to explain to him how God came not to establish rules, but relationship. And we get to have this incredible spiritual conversation. His name was John that I would have never had had I taken my nap. See, the nap was good for me, but the nap was bad for John. And we've got to be aware of what's going on around us. We've got to be reminded not to live our lives so selfishly. Like, don't go to lunch when the entire town is coming towards you. Like, don't build a church that just has a seat for you. Like, build a church that has a seat for every person in South Florida. Like, let's be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Let's not just make it about me, myself, and I. Let's make it about every man, woman, and child that is out there that makes sure that they have multiple opportunities to hear the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. That's why we do our legacy offering every single year, because we're not making it about us, because if it's about us, we've got it all. 
We got great seats. We got cafes. We got kids. We got it all. It's like, man, it's luxurious in here. But it's not about us. It's about how do we make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church. We got to bring the church to them. We're not expecting them to come to us. Which means every day you and I are on mission because we're going where they are. We have to open our eyes to where they are. Number two, you got to open your eyes to who they are. Because if you aren't careful, people will irritate you. I don't know if you've encountered any difficult people in South Florida. Any people that wave at you with a singular finger. Like people are frustrating. People are mean. Anybody met a rude person? Anybody sitting next to, no, I'm just. <laughs> but you gotta remember in that moment, the reason that they're mean or the reason they're angry or the reason that they're rude is because hurt people hurt people. And we forget that they're broken and they're lost and they're frustrated and they're hopeless and I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where you're broken or you're frustrated or you're hopeless, but you do wild, crazy, irrational things in those yeah. moments. Yeah. And so those people, which are our neighbors, which are our coworkers, that Publix cashier, that banker, they're always frustrating. They're just hurting they're just hopeless, they're just broken because they haven't experienced the good news. And so what do they need to experience? They need to experience you. They need to experience me. And listen, I love what we have in here because we've got this community, we've got this, this group, we've got this people that like we're all on the same page. We're like, we're like, we see eye to eye, but our community in here exists for the world out there. And what they need is they need to experience who we are because we see who they are. And how can they experience hope if they don't ever experience the hope of us? because I don't know if you realize this or not, but you're Christ's representation here on earth. Number three, because I got a minute left. <laughs> open our eyes. We gotta open our eyes to what they need. Gotta open our eyes to what they need. And I think the church is really confused about this. Because we either stand for truth or we look to have influence. And I think church, we have to do both at the same time. It's not one or the other. Because there's a whole bunch of Christians that just think what people need is they need the truth. Just tell them they're wrong and they need to change. Turn or burn, baby. That's all they need. And there's a lot of people out there that think if you just give them the truth, the truth will just do it all. But I know a lot of people that are giving people truth that is really, really right, but not effective. 
And I think we have to give people truth, but we can't do it in a way that turns people off at the same time. Then there's another group of people that, that aren't about truth. They're, here's what we need to do. We just need to love them. You know what everybody needs? They just need love. If we just give them love, 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 love. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter how they feel. We just need to love them. Love, love, love. And that's important, but not by itself. The Bible says it like this in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came for the Father full of grace and truth. In other words, he didn't give them one or the other. He actually gave them both. I like to say it like this. Truth without grace is mean, and it is. And grace without truth is meaningless, but truth and grace, here's what it is, it's medicine. It's medicine. It's the thing that heals you, it's the thing that restores you, it's the thing that transforms you, it's the thing that, that God not only gave to you, but he wants you to offer it to every single man, woman, and child that you come in contact with. In fact, when Shayla and I moved here 14 years ago to start Coastal Community Church, it wasn't because South Florida needed another great church. There are lots of great churches in South Florida. There, I could name you 50 amazing churches that you could go to and you'd be changed and transformed and you'd grow in your relationship with God. Like there, That's why we pray for other churches every single weekend. What we felt like South Florida needed is they needed a church that balanced both grace and truth at the same time. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't an extreme. It was a balance that would bring it to people's lives because grace invites us to be free. Here's what grace, it invites us to be free. Jesus says, I know what you did. I know how bad you were, but you're still welcome. You're still part of the family. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And here's what truth does. Truth actually sets us free. We don't change God's word. We let God's word change us. It's why we have a statement out there. Everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect and anything's possible. Man, we want every man and woman and child to come in and experience the grace of God that will give them the freedom that they've been looking for all of their life. But at the same point, seeing the power of God that can change them and transform them through the truth of his word that is always the same and never changing. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In our world, what it needs is it needs the church of Jesus Christ. It needs, I don't, it needs Coastal Community Church to open their eyes. We can't change the rest of the church. We can change this church. Yeah. Open our eyes to where they are because they're coming. Whether you recognize it or not, they're coming. They're coming. It's why we grew 101% this past year. They're coming because they're looking for grace and truth. Because yeah. they can't find it anywhere else in the world but in the house of God. Open our eyes to who they are. We've got to open our eyes to what they need. You guys bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you. We thank you that your, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, bringing both grace and truth so that we could experience freedom and we could experience transformation so we could be restored and renewed and transformed forevermore. 
God, I pray that today you would open every single one of our eyes to not live selfishly, but to look, to see the crowds as they come, that we would see the people that you're divinely intersecting with our lives. God, and we'd recognize who they are, that they're the ones that are hurting and broken and lost, that are our neighbor, our coworker, our friend, our relative, our Uncle Eddie, all of them. It's our mother-in-law. God, that we would be full of grace and truth. Here's what I also know. Maybe there's some people out there that you're listening to this and you're going, man, I've, you're talking about religion and then you're talking about Jesus and you're saying those are totally different things because a lot of us in life have experienced religion where it's a bunch of rules, but God didn't send his son so that we could live by a bunch of rules. He sent his son so that we could reestablish relationship with the God who created us and made us and formed us. The Bible tells us that our sin actually separates us from God, our mistakes, our past, our shame. The Bible actually says that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth and died for us. So that none of us should perish, but all of us could experience everlasting life. And maybe you're out there today and you need to experience that kind of life. It begins with an acceptance of the gift of God, the free gift of God, the gift of His Son. And a surrender to His will and His way. So that you can experience meaning and purpose and fulfillment, but most of all, relationship with your creator if that's you out there today that you say I, I need to experience that for the first time or the first time in a long time it begins with a simple yet significant prayer if that's you on the count of three I'd love for you to slip your hand up I'd love to pray with you on the count of three one two three go ahead and slip your hand up yes I see you back there thank you I see you back there I see you over here thank you up top I see you thank you who else I see you back there thank you anybody else if you'll pray this prayer in your heart as I pray to God, I'll say, God, thank you for the incredible gift of your son. God, I ask you to forgive me of my past, change my present, and secure my future. Jesus, I surrender my will and my way to you. Fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Restore relationship that was lost because of sin. Renew my mind and change my perspective. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. I love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.